Welcome to my office hours. I'm your host, Lisa Romig. Will you be found without excuse? Join me today in my three-part series entitled Without Excuse. Today I'm kicking off a series called Without Excuse. This series specifically, and I'm hoping, um, will challenge you as a believer in what you understand about God. Culturally, we have this idea, and you will hear a lot of people say, well, they just didn't know. And so sometimes we get so used to hearing that in culture that we have a tendency to kind of apply that into our biblical knowledge and what we understand about God. I'm hoping with this series, without excuse, you'll understand that when God set order in the world, he set it in such a way that you will be found without excuse because he is a righteous God and he is a good God. And so specifically for this series, I want to use as a base scripture, I want to start in Romans and many people, if you are in the American church, um, will understand that Romans one is one we like to go back to um, because it really is a foundational scripture for understanding um, about God's wrath and also what Paul uses to kick off an incredible book of Romans and also with him um, talking about the doctrine of our faith. But specifically in Romans 1, it tells, tells us exactly how God thinks about our righteousness. And so I want to start with verse 18. So I'm in Romans 1, 18, and I use standardly the um, English standard version in case you have a different version. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness of men who by their own are righteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, these are the attributes of God, namely his eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly perceived, not hidden, clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. Who are without excuse? Unrighteousness and the ungodliness of men. Men is without excuse. So as we're talking about some characteristics of God and also about him in general, I want to go through and start laying a foundation of how you see these things lay out in scripture. I'm going to start with a story in David, and you can join me there as well. And I'm going to be starting at 2 Samuel chapter 6. And we see David has accepted his kingdom um, of Israel and has become king. Um, he is king over all of Israel. And you start to see David wanting to unite his people uh, together. And specifically, the story starts out with David wanting to bring the Ark of the Covenant out of uh, Abinadab's house and back into the city of David or Jerusalem. Why is this important? For many of you who don't understand Jewish culture or history, and you may not um, have ever heard this, the Ark of the Covenant um, was given to um, the nation of Israel when they came out of uh, Egypt. And part of the reason um, that this was given was it was part of the standard worship. And it was done in a tabernacle or a tent. 
because they were in the desert, it was movable. And so the Ark of the Covenant was in the place called the Holy of Holies, and it was representative of God. And so the high priest would go in and meet with God and speak with him or see him there. Now, he only did that once a year for atonement, but that is where the Ark was kept. So the Ark of the Covenant is literally that God is with you. It was representative of it. So what was in the Ark? Specifically, what was in the Ark was Aaron's staff. We have the commandments or uh, the stone tablets um, that were in there as well, as well as manna. So we have in the Ark representative of what God had done for the nation of Israel. You will see in battle that Saul um, and also David would bring the Ark to the battle line because it was representative that God was with them and they would succeed. Sometimes they did and sometimes they didn't because sometimes they didn't inquire of God. But that brings us to where we are at in 2 Samuel 6 and David's desire to move this Ark of the Covenant, which has been in someone's house all these years, um, over 20 years, back into basically the cultural center of the nation of Israel. So let's go back to this house. So the Philistines took the Ark of the Covenant and they didn't want it. Um, they kept moving it from place to place. And the Philistines, of course, were not the beloved nation of Israel. And so God pretty much cursed them every time um, they were in the presence of the Ark. Um, they got boils. Uh, some people, it's been said that it was hemorrhoids um, whenever they had the Ark of the Covenant. Also, they put it into one of their uh, God's temples, and the God was, um, the stone temple was very, very large, and the Ark of the Covenant was next to it, and so they found the stone face down um, next to the Ark of the Covenant, and then um, it was the fish God. They also found um, this particular fish God one morning decapitated showing the power of the Ark of the Covenant, so um, the Ark of God. So I really want you to understand that this was very representative to a lot of people of the presence of God. And so the Philistines didn't want it, and they had brought it back and given it uh, back to the nation of Israel, but it had gone into the house of Abdenabab. And so this is where we're at. Abdenadab has had it for 20 years, and his name means my father is generous, in case you were curious about some Hebrew language there. Now, Abdenadab had two other sons, Yuza and, of course, Ahio, um, and they were going to take the Ark of the Covenant out of their father's house, and they were going to give it back to the nation of Israel or take it into um the city of Jerusalem. So what would you do with something so precious and how would you handle it? So Yuza and Ohio went and they put it into a new cart. And I love this because here's an ox with a new cart. It would have been very spiffy. I have no doubt. And then with the Ark of God, because it's sitting in a new cart. So remember that. Um, you have Ohio who went in front of the cart. And then, of course, you have Yuza at the back of the cart. So David and all the house of Israel began celebrating before the Lord with songs and lyres and harps and tabarines and cymbals. I'm in 2 Samuel 6, verse 5. And when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Yuza put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen had stumbled. Now, I want you to think about this. You are walking behind the Ark of the Covenant. It's a precious thing, and it starts to rock, 
starts to look like it is going to tumble out. And of course, Yuza did what most of us would have done. He touched the ark. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Yuza. And God struck him down there because of his error. And he died there besides the ark of God. Now, I want to just point this out to you. Some of us who read this story are like, wow, God's really mean. But I want you to understand something about the nature of God. And God is holy. And remember, when the Ark of the Covenant was given to the nation of Israel, very specific rules were given to it. And what you see here is a blatant understanding, non-understanding of the nature of God. And so what you're seeing here with Yuza touching the Ark is ignorance. And that is the best way I can say it. So what is it um, that he did? He basically himself, not a high priest, not a Levite, reached out and touched um, this particular ark. Now, we would call this an unintended sin or an error. We call it ignorance, so to speak. But I want you to understand that this particular ignorance had consequences. It cost him, of course, his life, um, but it also had other consequences. Now, if you look at in Hebrews, um, in Hebrew, the word ignorance actually means a committed error or sin, unintentional or unaware. It's an error performed in the daily routine of life that ranged from the slip of the tongue or to an accidental manslaughter. So what you have here is just ignorance, ignorance of the law, just ignorance. However, when we do a sin in ignorance, there are still consequences. And that is something I want to drive home today, that even if you do something unintentional, sometimes it has consequences. My husband tells a great story that when he was a kid, he climbed up on the roof of his house and he jumped off. Now, he thought he could fly, but unintentionally he fell and hurt himself because no matter what, sin is still a law and it still exists. And so I want you to understand that there are consequences just like you see here um, for these things, whether they're intentional or not. Sin, even if it's unintentional, breaks the order and peace between God and his people. Man was not supposed to touch the Ark of the Covenant because it him, itself was considered the presence of God Most High. Now, if you are a great Bible student or if you're a new Bible student, it might strike you as a little strange that God would require certain rituals in his presence. Remember, this is before Christ at the cross, and this is the Jewish culture that is being established, and every form of worship and every law that is established has its root in righteousness and also has its root in what will be pointing towards what the Messiah will do on the cross. So, the people that were allowed, the high priests that were allowed to go before him and uh, before God and be in his presence were very specific of a tribe, was very specific to a type of worship. You just couldn't reach out and touch the ark. It was considered holy. And one of the things I think is great, a lot of people misquote the scripture, but you will hear it a lot, but you will hear people say Hosea 4.6. My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. And you will hear that quite a bit in our culture. People will say people perish because they don't have knowledge. I want to add on to that because I think we've missed the point when we just say that. Because 
the people have rejected knowledge. They have rejected the statutes and law of their God. So I want you to think about this a little clearly as Yuza has reached out and touched the ark. He reached out to study it. However, a law had been established long before on how they were supposed to interact with the ark. He was not doing it, and the Lord struck him down. Now, the Lord is very specific about maintaining order, and he's very specific, and he cares very much about his people, his name, his house, which would be the temple or his sanctuary, and I want you, and also his land. And I want you to understand that this is what you're seeing. This is his presence that's going back into or going to be put into the center of nation of Israel and their culture center place. It's going to, as we all know, David has a desire in a few chapters to build the house of the Lord. And so I want you to kind of wrap your head around that God is establishing again his reverence and his holiness before these people. Now, Yuza dying is a consequence of this. Even though he didn't know the law, he still had the consequences of his sin. So I want to kind of put Yuza as an example. And as scripture is typically written, there's usually a great contrast to this that happens within the chapter or within parallel scriptures. And that's what you're going to see coming up again and um with First Chronicles 13. So in 2 Samuel 6, we see that Yuza has died. And it says in verse 8, David was angry because the Lord had broken out against Yuza. And the place he named the place is called Perez Yuza to this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day. And he said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? So David, because it can't come by cart, and David was afraid of the Lord that day. I already read that. So David was not willing to take the ark of the Lord into the city of David or Jerusalem. So he took it to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. So I just want you to kind of wrap your head around this. David understood, uh-oh, something's up. So he put it in someone else's house. And so what does the ark of the Lord do in the presence of the Lord? The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite three months, and the Lord blessed him and his household. So the presence of the Lord is the blessing of the Lord. So in this house, he blessed all that was present. And it was told to King David, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because the ark of God um, is there. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. All right, I want to stop right there, and now I want to go to 1 Chronicles 13. These are parallel scriptures, as we say. This would be the, histo uh, the history of Israel. And so sometimes when we have parallel scriptures like this, it gives us a lot of information. And what you see here in uh, 1 Chronicles 13 is David consulted with the commanders of thousands and of hundreds with every leader. And David said to the assembly of Israel, if it seems good to you and from the Lord our God, let us send abroad our brothers who remain in all the lands of Israel, as well as to the priests and Levites in the cities that have pasture lands, that they may be gathered to us. So here he is gathering the people together. And this is a parallel scripture to second or excuse me, to uh, Second Samuel 6. So we're starting back at the beginning again. He's wanting to bring the people together. And so it tells the story in First Chronicles 13 of Yuza and the Ark as well. 
So as we're going through this, we see that Yuza has died before the Lord because he reached out and touched the ark. And the the ark of God remained with the household of Bedad Edom in the house for three months, and the Lord blessed the household. All right. So on First Chronicles 15, so this was in 13, it's the parallel scripture, and then we get to First Chronicles 15. It says, David built houses for himself in the city of David. They were considered some of the finest, if you didn't know that. And he prepared a place for the ark of God and pitched a tent for it. So again, this is not the temple that will be built by Solomon. This is just a place for it to be. Then David said that no one but the Levites may carry the ark of God, for the Lord had chosen them to carry the ark of the Lord and to minister him forever. And David assembled all of Israel at Jerusalem to bring up the ark of the Lord to its place, which so he had prepared. And David gathered together the sons of Aaron and Levite. These are the the sons of Aaron, who is the Levite tribe. These are the ones that are supposed to be uh, minister before the Lord and be your high priest. Then the sons of Koath are supposed to be the ones, again, of the Levite tribe. They're supposed to carry it. And so what you have here is David putting in the proper structure to be able to carry the ark. Now, again, um, I want you to understand David realized something was off when Yuzo was killed. And as king, even though this was an accident, he's still responsible. So what did David do? David went and gathered the people together. He got the priests together and he said, what do we need to do? And so this is what you have. David's being led here to do this correctly. In verse 11, so 1 Chronicles 15, 11, David summoned the priests Zadok and Abathar and the Levites, um, Urel, Asiah, Joel, Shemani, Elel, and Adinadab, and said to them, you are the heads of the fathers of the house of the Levites. Consecrate yourselves, you and your brothers, so that you may bring up the ark of the God of the Lord, the God of Israel, to the place that I prepared for it. Because you did not carry it the first time, the Lord our God broke out against us because we did not seek him according to the rule. So the priests and the Levites consecrated them to bring up the ark of the Lord, the God of Israel. And the Levites carried the ark of the God on their shoulders and poles, as Moses had commanded them according to the word of the Lord. Now, I want you to realize what has happened. There's ignorance here. And again, unintentional. Was it wrong for Yuza to reach out and try to study something in his cart? Absolutely not. But this isn't just your ordinary produce in the back of a cart. This is the Ark of the Lord. It had very specific instructions, and it was to be handled with reverence. And so what you see here is David realized that he got the proper structure in place, and then he went and brought it, uh, brought the Ark of the Covenant back. And so, again, he had grown an understanding, and this time when they brought it back, they did according it um to the law. I just want you to kind of think about this. And also we get into those beautiful scriptures that are given to us um, about the Levites who were supposed to bring up the ark. In Deuteronomy 10.8, it says, at the time the Lord set apart the tribe of Levi to carry the ark of the covenant of the Lord, to stand before the Lord, to minister to him and bless his name to this day. So again, I want you to real quick, especially if you are in um, today's culture, um, and that the Levites 
The tribe of Levi is still set apart to serve before the Lord. Exodus 25, 14 says, and you should put poles into the rings of the sides of the ark to carry the ark by them. So when they made the ark, they specifically put rings in there so you could slide the poles in so that they were to be carried again by Levites. The poles shall remain in the rings of the ark. They shall not be taken from you and you shall put the ark in the testimony that I shall give you. So I want you to understand they were to carry it on these poles and that's how they carried it through the desert. And this was how they were supposed to carry it into Jerusalem. So again, we learn some things as we go along with scripture about the Lord has order and he had given very specific reasons to do worship and why they were supposed to do worship. When it was violated, what happens is you see um, consequences of that. Now, I'm going to continue on in um, verse in First Chronicles 15 at verse 16. David commanded the chiefs of Levites to appoint their brothers as the singers who should play loudly on musical instruments and harps and lyres and cymbals to raise sounds of joys. And so what you see is you see them celebrating that the ark is coming, much like what I think when a football or a basketball game happens in a city and people get super excited and take to the streets. That's exactly what they were doing here when the ark returned, because it meant the Lord was with them. Now, I also want to go back, and if you've studied anything in 2 Samuel 6, there's some things in here that you might be uh, interested in, and that is in verse 2 Samuel 6, verse 13, and when those who bore the ark, that would be your Levites, of the Lord had gone six steps, which means the Lord honored them. He hadn't struck them dead yet. David sacrificed an ox and a fattened animal. Now, this was to the Lord. Again, we're talking about a form of worship. And David danced before the Lord with all his might, and David was wearing a linen ephod. Now, if you get into a lot of different structures, a lot of people like to talk about what David was wearing. And so, again, a lot of people think that this was a form of underwear. The only other real references to a linen ephod is for Samuel, who was a small boy, um, when he was ministering before Eli, uh, it says in 1 Samuel 2, 18, Samuel was ministering before the Lord. He was a boy clothed with linen ephod. So some people think that um, David was wearing a boy's clothing, um, and it didn't cover appropriately. However, I want to point out to you that a linen ephod was part of the priestly dress. Now, Samuel would have received this very early in youth, and he would have had a a child's one because he was um, a child at the time. Um, but again, this is what uh, it was on the outside of the priestly form. It was a linen ephod. And so with the high priest formal, uh, this was a setting apart for a lifelong service before the Lord when they got the ephod. And the ephod was the official uh, garment. It consisted of two pieces, which rested on the shoulders and the front and behind and were joined at the top and fastened about like a girdle. So real quick, just so you can understand that, this was um, really something that was to be worn as a servant of the Lord and the house of the Lord. So was David dancing in his underwear before the Lord? I don't think I would go that way. Uh, but I do think that what you see here is David took off his priestly garments or excuse me, his kingly garments, and he was dancing before the Lord. So again, here's a king who has a heart after God's, 
And when the presence of the Lord came into his city, he put on, took off his kingly robes and attire, wore a priestly ephod, however that looks, even if it's just an ephod like his underwear, and danced before the ark, the presence of the Lord. I want to just give you that image as we close um, for this section so that you understand a few things. One, that ignorance doesn't get you by with the Lord. The Lord judges because he has made the structure of our world so that no one is without excuse. And if you run into ignorance, the best way to combat ignorance, as we always say, is education. And that is exactly what you see what David did here. David went and got himself educated about how the the way that they should carry the ark so that no more people died. And I think this is a very good step and also shows you another important characteristic of David that we should take to heart today as Christians. When we don't have proper knowledge, when um, we do not respect the laws of the Lord, it will get us into trouble and we will suffer the consequences of sin. Remember, your worth and value were given to you at the cross. You were worth dying for, and you're definitely worth fighting for. Join with me next time as we continue to dig deeper into the life we have with King Jesus.